Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. My name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our podcast today is with David Walenga, physician and director of the Food and Health Program at the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy in Minneapolis. He's also connected with the University of Minnesota, has written widely on food and agriculture issues, and one in particular has generated a great deal of controversy lately, and that's his work on high fructose corn syrup. So David, to to lead off this discussion, high fructose corn syrup has become a topic that's out there and is a hot one, uh, partly because people are paying attention to how much of it there is in food products. Uh, but also some of the interest has been raised by the, the, the corn refiner industry running an aggressive ad campaign to convince people that high fructose corn syrup is no different than sugar. Um, so can you start off by telling us how much of this, wh- why, are, why, are, why is there so much of it in the food supply to begin with and how much of it is there? Well, high fructose corn syrup, first of all, wasn't even around prior to about 1970. And, and uh, at that point, uh, because of farm policies and, and, and other factors. We had a lot of corn floating around. And one of the creative things that uh, was found to do with it was to make high fructose corn syrup with it using new, new technology. And that has become a very low-cost sweetener that the industry has um, discovered different f- uh, ways to use and different food products to put it in. Is it, ba- is it used so widely primarily just because of the low cost, or does it have some physical properties that make it desirable to use as well? Well, that's, that's a little bit of a black box because I don't work inside one of those companies, but it certainly is low cost. Uh, another factor is that it's used as a preservative, and I don't know why it preserves exactly, but when you ask the companies, that's one of the reasons they say they use it. I understand there were some other uses as well, like it, ha- it holds up better under baking or the products brown better. There was certain things like that that made it desirable as well. But for whatever reasons, it sounds like there are a number of them that are driving, primarily the cost, driving the high use of high fructose corn syrup. Um, do you have any sense of how widely it, it's, it's used in the food supply? Well, we have pretty good uh, figures about what the average American consumption is. Uh, the estimate, the recent estimate, is that the, the average person gets about 50 grams in their diet per day of high fructose corn syrup. But that's an average, and none of us is average. Uh, teenagers and, and young children could very easily uh, consume 20 or even 40% more than that per day. So that adds up day after day, 350 grams a week, uh, some 18,000 grams a year. It's a lot. It's a lot. Now, I gather that it's the sole sweetener used in sugared beverages in the United States at the moment. Is that correct? Uh, it has been until quite recently. Just a few companies now are announcing that they're launching lines without high fructose corn syrup. Oh, I heard that just the other day that Pepsi is announcing a, a new version of Mountain Dew or something and maybe a Pepsi that has sugar instead of the high fructose corn syrup. That's right. And interestingly enough, Coca-Cola in Mexico has always been sugar only. Very interesting. Okay, so here come you and your colleagues uh, publishing a, a very newsworthy study looking at mercury in high fructose corn syrup. What was the impetus for the study, and what did you find? Well, one of my colleagues uh, uh, several years ago was still an FDA scientist, and, and she had come across some information that made her curious about whether mercury from a outdated technology that was still used to create food-grade chemicals like caustic soda, 
would end up in the products that that caustic soda went into. And one of those products, lo and behold, was high fructose corn syrup. So about uh, 10% of the uh, production in the U.S., the caustic soda production, we think, is still using this outdated mercury technology. And in the past, it was a much higher percentage. In the again. past, it was much higher. It's, it's about a third in Europe, so in other parts of the world. So this woman uh, within FDA uh, was able to collect about 20 high fructose corn syrup samples from manufacturers and get them tested for the presence of total mercury. What she found was almost half, nine out of the 20, had detectable mercury in them. Alarming. Uh, so how serious is this? Is that, was there a detectable mercury? Does that mean enough to cause problems? Well, you know, before I answer that, let me just say that I think it is serious for the following reasons. One, we're, we are eating so much high fructose corn syrup. And, and kids especially seem to be eating more than, than many other people. So even a small amount of something like mercury per batch, let's say, or per product could add up with so much of it being consumed. Exactly. And the other concern is what we know about mercury in general. Tell us about we, that. We know mercury is a really potent toxin, especially potent toxin to the developing brain. Now, there's different forms of mercury. There's elemental mercury and organic mercury and inorganic mercury. What we know is that all mercury forms are toxic to some degree, and so the Academy of Pediatrics advice is minimize mercury exposure wherever possible. So here's one example where we know different ways to make high fructose corn syrup, some of them using caustic soda with mercury in it, some using caustic soda without. So it makes sense to us that we ought to be moving as quickly as possible to make high fructose corn syrup without mercury. You talked about the developing brain. Is uh, this something that if uh, uh, pregnant women are consuming that it could affect their children? Well, exactly. Um, the, the form of mercury that's been most studied is methylmercury, and there's actually a advice from the FDA that limits, uh, uh, suggests that pe women of childbearing age limit the amount of fish they eat, for example, to minimize mercury exposure. Um, some fish species are uh, high or moderately high in mercury. So given what you've just said, let's talk about sugared beverages in kids as a potential problem. Um, we know from other research that sugared beverage intake in children is, is very high in the United States and increasingly around the world. That sometime in the 1990s, the lines crossed and milk uh, consumption fell below that of sugared beverage consumption. And you're talking about the effect of mercury on the developing brain, given that high fructose corn syrup is almost the only sweetener in these sugared beverages. How does that all, does it, that, it sounds like the alarm should be going off with information like that. Well, we think our study raised some alarms, but, but we don't know exactly what to conclude from it yet. And in part, what it raises is the need, the, the rapid need to do more testing to confirm how prevalently this mercury is throughout the food supply. Now, um, a group as small as ours didn't have the resources of an FDA, for example. But certainly no mercury is the, is the kind of mercury we want in the food supply. Do you think it's too early, the science is not well enough developed, that a recommendation would be made to parents to discourage these product consumption, this product, consumption of products with high fructose corn syrup in their children? 
Well, I, I think a, a prudent thing is to ask the manufacturers for some assurance about where they're getting the chemicals that go into their high fructose corn syrup. And if, if they can't provide that information in a satisfactory way, to be very skeptical about it. Um, now, even if the U.S., for example, were to get rid of these so-called mercury-grade caustic soda and other food-grade chemicals, there's still a problem because it's a global food system. And there's nothing to stop a, a food company from buying their caustic soda from somewhere else in the world that's still using mercury. Uh, what was the reaction of industry to the release of your study results? Well, there a couple of different kind of responses that were interesting. One, they said our data was outdated, uh, to which we replied, well, it's the only data that's published. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's less outdated than any other data. Well, now, hold on. I, th I <clears throat> thought that you th these samples had been obtained recently and were analyzed. And well, there were, there were actually two kinds of samples. The commercial high fructose corn syrup collected by the FDA was collected in 2005. It's you or I couldn't walk down the street and buy high fructose corn syrup. And so those were done, and the FDA was aware of the results internally in 2005. Um, nothing's been done since then, and it, it took some time to get the study published, as okay. you could probably appreciate. Were there other reactions other than the complaint it was outdated? Well, the other reaction was if there is mercury in here, uh, we don't need to worry about it because it's inorganic mercury uh, and not methylmercury. So in other words, it's some kind of form of mercury that we don't need to worry about. It doesn't sound like you agree with that. that. Well, it's hard to know because nobody's done the testing to show what kind of mercury it is. So it okay. might be, it might be, no mercury is the best mercury. Uh, it might be a lower toxicity mercury or a higher toxicity. It doesn't really matter. Well, thank you for sharing this important work. Given how much of the high fructose corn syrup is being consumed, it's very important to know what the impact is. So it, you, you launched an interesting line of inquiry, and we hope others will follow up on it, and consumers will eventually know the degree to which it's a safe product. So our guest today was David Walinga, physician and director of the Food and Health Program at the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy in Minneapolis. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a list of the other excellent podcast guests that we've had. Thank you.